Hi, I'm Jonathan Pennington, and this is the Human Flourishing Podcast. This podcast is a repository of a wide variety of sermons, lectures, interviews, and other resources that I've recorded over the years. Today's episode is part of the devotional series on the Sermon on the Mount I taught for Sojourn East. Okay, last time we talked about 6, 1 to 21 and how together those serve as three examples. Now we're nine examples in when you add chapter 5 in there of what the greater righteousness looks like. Those three examples concern the necessity of paying attention to our hearts when we engage in good activities like helping, giving to help the poor and praying and fasting. I skipped chapter 6, verses 9 to, or we could even say 5 to 15, Uh, because I want to talk about that big idea, but we need to go back and look at these for a second because these are, once again, some of the greatest hits of the greatest hits. So if the Sermon on the Mount is like the Beatles, these are like, well, I won't name the particular song unless I offend somebody's choice. The, uh, The whole band is great. The whole Sermon on the Mount's great. This is like the greatest hits of the greatest hits here, the Lord's Prayer. I mean, these words are is well known to non-Christians and Christians alike throughout the world. These these words have been prayed for almost 2,000 years now, and they're worth us pausing and thinking about them for a minute. First little kind of nerd thing to so you can know is that the Lord's Prayer is not only weighty in and of itself, but from the structure of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer is literally right in the middle. It is the structural center of the entire uh, Sermon on the Mount with all the way it's laid out. Maybe sometime we can talk more if you want to grab me sometime if we're in the same city and talk about the structure of the Sermon on the Mount. It's one of my favorite things. I have a whole book on the Sermon on the Mount called The Sermon on the Mount and Human Flourishing, and there's a whole chapter just on the structure. So go read that if you're into that kind of stuff. But more importantly for us today, let's think about what the Lord's Prayer is. The Lord's Prayer is a model of how to learn to be a disciple. The Lord's Prayer is part of this whole idea of taking the yoke upon you, of repenting for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, of learning what the greater righteousness is like. And he's talking about not praying in such a way as if you look at verses 5 to 7, that you're just babbling on and, you know, a long-winded prayer or even this eloquent prayer that's not really to God from the heart, but it's just talking to each other. He's saying that's all babble. It doesn't matter. He Instead, Jesus says, here's a simple way to pray. And so he gives us this prayer in verses 9 to to 13. Let me read it for you. This then is how you should pray, not babbling on and not trying to be super eloquent. He says, this is how you pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Beautiful words, familiar words. There are whole books written on this, so I've got to keep it brief. But let me just point out to you that typically we recognize that the, the Lord's Prayer has two parts. The first part is directed toward God. And the second part is, I mean, it's all directed toward God as a prayer. But the first part concerns 
relating to God. And the second part concerns relating to our daily lives and to each other in that. The first part is the address to our Father who is in heaven, noticing that that's very, very important part of the New Testament's teaching, that all people, all Christians can call upon the true God of the universe as Father, as one who has a, an actual relationship, not just as this distant God, but as one who cares um, and loves us, as we'll see more of this Father language in the rest of the sermon. But we address him as Father, and then those first three petitions are all actually kind of bundled together. Let your name be hallowed or made holy or sanctified. Let your kingdom come and let your will be done. All three of those are really bundled together. They kind of overlap with each other in meaning, and they're all modified by that little phrase at the end of verse 10, on earth as it is in heaven. In other words, the first prayer, the first part of praying as a Christian means God these things are true in heaven, that your name is, you're honored truly, your kingdom, you reign perfectly and fully, your will is always done, but they're not true fully on earth right now. And so at the heart of the Christian praying, praying life, and really the heart of what it means to be a Christian is someone who is looking for God to say, looking to God to bring the heavenly realities to the earthly realities. As these things are true in heaven, God, we long for them to be true on earth as well. This is like what was said back in the Beatitudes, hungering and thirsting for righteousness, mourning, etc., because we are longing for God to come and set the world to right. God is true and right and good everywhere in the world, but in heaven, his will is done perfectly, but on earth, there's still sin and brokenness and rebellion and evil. God, make it so that you come, you return and restore your goodness and justice and beauty and shalom across the earth. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's the, the life of being a sojourner, that we're living in a broken world longing for God to set it to right. The second part, verses 11 to 13, address our real life, giving our daily bread or toilet paper, as it may be in times of crisis. Give us our daily bread or whatever we need and forgiving our debts as we forgive, which means our the things we owe to one another, as we forgive, as we have also forgiven our debtors, those who have owed us, um, and, or the, sorry, forgive our debtors, yes, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. The, the point of all this is that these are just examples. They're not the entirety of what we could pray. They're examples of what it means to live prayerfully, recognizing that and praying to God that we be people who look to him for provision, that we're forgiving towards each other, and that we finally pray that God would not let us experience so much that we would be tempted to, to test him, to, to no longer believe in him. That's what verse 13 means. But instead, that God would deliver us from all temptations. And, and then he continues that theme in verse 14 and 15, that the emphasis on forgiving one another. So there's much more we could say. This is very brief, but I, I, I just want to, to say this is such a beautiful prayer that some scholars have described as like a, a scaffolding to build up the tower of prayer or like a handrail to help you walk up the stairs of prayer. And what I mean by that is this, that I think it's good to pray this actual prayer, to pray these words regularly, to daily, maybe many times a day, to pray these actual words, period, as they are, and They'll recognize they're not a magical incantation. They are, to meant, they are meant to guide and shape our praying. 
So at the same time, it's good to pray these actual words and it's great to let these words shape our praying. So maybe pray part of it and then expand that yourself and then pray another line of it and expand that yourself. And so I think if you use the Lord's Prayer in this double way as actual words to pray and a scaffolding or a training for the life of prayer, this will be part of what it means to be a disciple, to learn to take Jesus' yoke upon you, to have you be shaped into being, to seeing the world in a certain way and being in the world in a certain way. Thank you for listening to the Human Flourishing Podcast. To learn more or get in touch with me, visit my website, jonathanpennington.com.